in a moment we're going to hear our reading, but uh, before we do so, I just want to uh, introduce an idea to you. I really like films where somebody from outside, who's a bit different, gets kind of catapulted into a new world, uh, maybe um, an institution or something, and they get plonked in there, they're totally different, everybody hates them, they don't fit in, but uh, after a while, everybody starts to soften towards them because they come with humour, they come with fun, they come with life and creativity, often music, and by the end of the film, everybody's dancing in the aisles and they're all friends. Um, and I was, oh, I've, I've done this the wrong way around, but I was looking for pictures of, I was thinking about films that might have this kind of theme. Sorry, it's a very long reading. There we are. Crocodile Dundee, so going back to the 80s, do you remember Crocodile Dundee? Comes to, when he comes to New York, you know, obviously he, he's totally different to the world that they live in, but he has a lot of fun. Uh, Sister Act, yeah, she uh, uh, gets those nuns dancing and changes things completely. And I thought, come on, you have been to films in the last five years, come on, let's think of something a little bit more relevant. Oh, Paddington 2. Uh, Paddington goes to jail. If you haven't seen Paddington 2, you need to see Paddington 2. Uh, Paddington goes, gets sent to jail. I can't remember why. Um, but in jail, obviously, because he's so charming and so innocent, these hardened criminals find themselves turning into lovely, polite, kind people. Um, I think they end up baking. Do they, they end up baking? Yeah, yeah. So it's a, lo- a lovely thing. So bear that in mind as David comes to read us from 2 Kings 5 about Naaman being cured of his leprosy. Okay. And the reading will be on the screen. Good evening. Is my voice coming through? Right? The reading is taken from 2 Kings 5, 1 to 19. Naaman healed of leprosy. Now Naaman was commander of the army of the king of Aram. He was a great man in the sight of his master and highly regarded, because through him the Lord had given victory to Aram. He was a valiant soldier, but he had leprosy. Now bands of raiders from Aram had gone out and had taken captive a young girl from Israel, and she served Naaman's wife. She said to her mistress, If only my master would see the prophet who is in Samaria, he would cure, her, cure him of his leprosy. Naaman went to his master and told him what the girl from Israel had said. By all means go, the king of Aram replied. I will send him a, send a letter to the king of Israel. So Naaman left, taking with him ten talents of silver, six thousand shekels of gold, and ten sets of clothing. The letter that he took to the king of Israel read, With this letter I am sending my servant Naaman to you, so that you may cure him of his leprosy. As soon as the king of Israel read the letter, he tore his robes and said, Am I God? Can I kill and bring back to life? Why does this fellow send me someone, someone to me to be cured of his leprosy? See how he's trying to pick up a quarrel with me. When Elisha, the man of God, heard that the king of Israel had torn his robes, he sent him this message. Why have you torn your robes? Have the man come to me, and he will know that there is a prophet in Israel. So Naaman went with his horses and chariots and stopped at the door of Elisha's house. Elisha sent a messenger to him to say to him, Go wash yourself seven times in the Jordan, and your flesh will be restored, and you will be cleansed. But Naaman went away angry and said, I thought that he would surely come out to me and stand and call on the name of the Lord his God, wave his hand over the spot, and cure me of my leprosy. 
Are not Abana and Farpa, the rivers of Damascus, better than all the waters of Israel? Couldn't I wash in them and be cleansed? So he turned and went off in a rage. Naaman's servants went to him and said, My father, if the prophet had told you to do some great thing, would you not have done it? How much more then when he tells you, wash and be cleansed? So he went down and dipped himself in the Jordan seven times, as the man of God had told him. And his flesh was restored and became clean like that of a young boy. Then Naaman and all his attendants went back to the man of God. He stood before him and said, Now I know that there is a God in all the world. No, there is no God in all the world except in Israel. So please accept a gift from your servant. The prophet answered, As surely as the Lord lives, whom I serve, I will accept no thing, or not accept a thing. And even though Naaman urged him, he refused. If you will not, said Naaman, please let me, your servant, be given as much earth as a pair of mules can carry, for your servant will never again make burnt offerings and sacrifices to any other god but the Lord. But may the Lord forgive your servant for this one thing. When my master enters the temple of Rimmon to bow down and he is leaning on my arm and I have to bow there also, when I bow down in the temple of Rimmon, May the Lord forgive your servant for this. Go in peace, Elisha said. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, David. So, a quick recap of the story. We have Naaman, a captain in the king of Aram's army, who is a very important person, but he has leprosy and he's really struggling because nobody will go anywhere near him. And he needs to be healed. And it just so happens that a serving girl in his household knows about Elisha, the prophet, and stories are coming out of Israel that Elisha, the prophet, has done amazing miracles. So she knows that if Naaman goes to see him, he'll be healed. So she mentions this, and the idea is passed on to Naaman, and off he goes in great pomp and ceremony, off to Israel after various machinations and goes to meet the prophet. The prophet doesn't bother to come out of his house but sends him a message and tells him what to do. Naaman's not too keen on the idea but eventually he does what he's told. He goes and dips himself in the river and he's healed of his leprosy and he promises to worship no other god but the Lord God from Israel. So that's the gist of the story. So you're thinking Paddington 2 Naaman the leper, can't quite see the connection. Not sure I can either, really, but we'll see how we get, get on. Now, who's the hero in this story? Who's the one who comes and transforms the culture, who makes a difference as a whole life disciple? Who's the hero in the story? Just turn to each other quickly. Who do you think the hero is in this story? It's not Paddington, give you a clue. Okay, we'll do a quick hands-up hands poll. Anyone think it's Naaman? Is Naaman the hero of the story? Um, the king of Aram? King of Israel? Elisha the prophet? The serving girl. You're on the right lines. Good. We're going to give her a name, because otherwise I'm going to spend the whole evening saying Naaman's wife's serving girl. So she's going to be called Mariam, okay? We're going to call her Mariam. Now, it tells us very specifically about Mariam that she was taken away from Israel at the age of two as a slave. 
she was captured in a war between those two kingdoms and taken away. It's interesting, isn't it? It stresses how young she was. And we know from modern day news, we just can't imagine, but we can kind of begin to imagine what kind of life she must have experienced since she was captured. The kind of way that people are exploited and treated when they are taken away in time of war. But she's the hero of this story. So we're gonna look at the whole story from her point of view. And there's two questions I want to ask. First of all, why did Mariam think that Elisha could heal Naaman? Because if she was taken away at the age of two, then there's no way that she could remember life in Israel, is there? She wouldn't know the Lord God from the tradition of her, of her elders and her people, her family, because she would have been too young to remember. So let's imagine how she comes to have faith in the living God. I wonder if maybe some of her family weren't killed in the war that she was taken during. Perhaps parents were still alive, or perhaps grandparents were still alive. Perhaps the uh, equivalent of godparents are still alive. Perhaps they were back in Israel praying for her, wanting her to know God, not knowing whether she was alive or dead, but just continuing to pray for her every day. And what a powerful thing that is. And I know that many of you, some of you are parents, some of you are grandparents, some of you are godparents, some of you are good family friends of others. And you don't know whether your children or grandchildren might find faith at the moment, but you're praying for them and you're doing what you can to introduce them to faith and to know the living God. So who knows what Mariam had as support. And perhaps what's more likely is that other Israelite slaves were with her in this household that she's working in. Um, perhaps other Israelites were trying to keep the faith alive. Perhaps they were secretly even practicing the Passover, I don't know, um, praying to God, perhaps keeping those stories alive, just secretly talking together as much as they could. And maybe somebody had taken Mariam under their wing and taught her about God, we don't know. But whatever was the case, we know that Mariam had heard about Elisha the prophet, had heard these stories of his healing powers and his, his strength in God. She must have had a background of faith and she had a current active hope in God. What more did she need in order to be used by God? What more do we need in order to be used by God? An experience of faith and an active hope that God works today. So that was our first question, why she thought Elisha could heal Naaman. Obviously, we, we know that it's God who heals, not not. Elisha the prophet, but that's the way that sometimes it was described. The second question is, why did anyone listen to her? Why did Naaman's wife and why did Naaman listen to Mariam? We've already established that she was a slave. She was a serving girl. She was probably still young. Why did anyone listen to her? Naaman's wife was really taking a risk, wasn't she, by listening to Mariam? Because she passed on this message to her husband. And if it all turned out that he didn't get healed, then there was going to be big trouble for her personally. But also, there was going to be humiliation for Naaman if it all went wrong and he didn't get healed. Because being the big shot guy that he was, he ramped up the pressure by going straight to his king and asking for permission to go on a diplomatic mission to uh, the king of Israel to ask for healing. And he ends up with this great train of gifts and cloth and wheat and gold and everything. So if 
he wasn't healed or the king of Israel said no, the whole thing was going to perhaps even spark a war. And we have the king of Israel tearing his robes and saying, why have they done this to me? They're provoking war by asking something impossible of me. Although, of course, Elisha knows different. So it was a big risk for them to trust her. Why did they trust Mariam? And I'm going to propose, maybe fancifully, that I think Mariam was living fruitfully on her front line. So just think about that. I think Mariam was living fruitfully on her front line. She must have been living in a certain way that meant that when she said, oh, I wish my master would go to the prophet, that her mistress took notice and even acted upon it. You've got little cards on your tables that some of you will be very familiar with. Um, They're from LICC. We we can talk to you about that organization if you're interested. And on one side, there's a little prayer about bearing fruit from John 15. And on the other side, there are six little statements which describe ways that we can live for God on our front lines, on the places where we are with with, uh, people every day, especially with people who don't know God. And they all begin with M, very handily. And uh, many of you will be familiar with those. But uh, you can see them there, moulding godly character. So modelling godly character, making good work, ministering grace and love, moulding the culture, being a mouthpiece for truth and justice, and being a messenger of the gospel. So I'm going to suggest that perhaps Mariam had been making good work. Perhaps she'd been working well as a slave, working diligently, even when nobody was watching. We know that Paul advised slaves in Ephesus many centuries later, didn't he? To work well and diligently as slaves, even though they were slaves, even though the situation was unjust. But to witness to Jesus, they were told to work hard and work well and be polite and respectful to their their masters. So perhaps that's how she'd been living. Perhaps she'd even been moulding the culture because other people, other slaves, had been taking note and copying her. Maybe she'd made an atmosphere where people told the truth to each other, where people didn't get each other into trouble. Maybe she'd even been a mouthpiece for truth and justice. Maybe she'd stood up for a, another young serving girl who'd been badly treated. She may have even stand up, stood up to her mistress, but perhaps in a way that meant that she was listened to. We don't know. I'm making this up, as you can tell. Um, but let's imagine this scenario. Why would anyone listen to this serving girl unless she had been building up a life which spoke to people of truth and of power? And just thinking about a a modern-day example, um, there used to be a guy who came to open church on Tuesdays, and I think his name was John, um, and he was a bus driver. Does anyone remember him? No, it was quite a few years ago now. John was a bus driver, and he used to drive people from the airport to the bus station. And he took this this responsibility very seriously because he decided he might be the first person that people spoke to in Bristol. Um, And if they come from another country and flown into the airport, he might be the first person they met in the country. And he felt that they needed to have the best experience they could possibly have. So he learned how to say hello in lots of different languages. And he made sure he always greeted them with a smile. And he would try and say hello. He would try and help them because they often didn't have the right money. You can imagine, can't you? And you can imagine some bus drivers being really grumpy about it and shouting at them because the stupid foreigners hadn't got any coins or whatever. 
Um, but he made it his mission to be as kind and as cheerful as he could so that that first half hour of their time in Bristol was positive. What, what an amazing guy. I'm, I'm sorry that he disappeared. I don't know what happened to him, but anyway. He was making good work, wasn't he? Now, the question I asked was, why did everyone listen to Marian? And the most straightforward answer to that, of course, is that because the Holy Spirit wanted them to. So the Holy Spirit can work however he wants, can't he? But he likes to work through us and with us. And if we're living attractive lives, full of grace, if we're being salt and light, then the Holy Spirit can work with us and amazing things can happen. We might feel like Mariam that we're powerless, but no, the million things we do every day, the tiny things and the way we do them, it makes a difference because we can be used by God. And I really need some water. <laughs> Thank you. Thanks very much. So, being used by God. We don't have to be in a powerful situation. We don't have to be the CEO of a company. We can be the temp. We don't have to be somebody with a hotshot career. We can be just a mum or just a carer or just a retired person. God can still use us, can't he? And in the million little things that we do every day and the way that we do them, we can create an atmosphere and change a culture just like Paddington. Here we are. I knew he was going to get there in the end. I, was, I knew he was coming in somewhere. Um, but also, not only did Mariam perhaps uh, live fruitfully and that made a difference to bless the people she was with every day, but also I feel that she'd built up lots of what I might call uh, kingdom capital. She'd built up capital. In other words, because of the way she'd lived, when the crunch came, she'd earned the right to be listened to and to be respected for her advice. And that's the same for us. So we live fruitfully for the sake of it because it's how God calls us to live and because it's a wonderful way to live and because it blesses people and it releases God's power and it makes things like Jesus would have it to be. But also it earns us the right to be listened to, hopefully, when the moment comes, maybe somebody has a crisis and they turn to us or somebody asks a question about Jesus and they might listen to us because of what's been happening because they've seen us over all those years. So to recap on the story, Mariam is listened to and Naaman's wife hears her and thinks, good idea, this sounds good. And she goes and tells Naaman and off Naaman goes. Naaman obviously thinks a lot of himself when you read the story, didn't he? He was very proud. And so when he goes off on this state visit with all his chariots and carts full of goods, the king of Israel panics. But Elisha knows that, of course, God can heal Naaman if he wants to. And maybe Elisha also knew that God wouldn't be able to heal Naaman until he was humbled. And so he, I I suppose, deliberately humiliated him, didn't he? By not even going out to see him himself. And Naaman was furious. How dare this prophet from another nation not come out and see me, the the big man, the big captain in the army? So he almost stomps off back to Aram without even finding out what, you know, what to do or, or, or trying it out. But again, his servants, the, the people who are meant to be powerless, are the wise ones here. And they say, no, come on, have a go. 
And so he swallows his pride, he goes into the river, he gets healed, and he repents and worships God. So, as we often see in the kingdom, everything is turned upside down. People who feel powerless have great power and influence. You have great power and influence day by day with God because you have the Holy Spirit magnifying what you do. So I just want to leave you with that sense of excitement. Do you have a sense of excitement about what might happen tomorrow? Even, although it's hard to say this, even if it's a really tough situation that you're in, a terrible situation that you're in, but tomorrow God can still use you and still work through you. So if we could go to bed tonight wondering when we wake up in the morning, what God might do through us and what part he wants us to play. That's a very exciting place to be. We're going to listen to a song now, hopefully, if it works. And it's the song Purify My Heart, <clears throat> and which is a song that we often sing. And it has those li- that line, uh, being set apart for you, Lord. And I always used to picture that as me needing to go off to some beautiful, quiet place by myself to be set apart for God. But actually, where do we most need to show holiness and to try out being holy? It's right in the thick of it. It's when the children are arguing so much that you don't know what to do with yourself. It's when somebody you live with is cruel. It's when somebody at work tries to persuade you to tell a lie. It's in the nitty-gritty of life, isn't it, that we need to be holy. So we're going to look at some everyday images as well as listen to the song, um, hoping that that will just spark off ideas and allow God to prompt us with creative ways of thinking about how we can live day to day. And then after we've watched it, then there'll be a time of silence where you can just digest and allow God to speak to you. So I'm just going to have to whiz past Crocodile Dundee and Paddington. And we're hoping that the video will play.